You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. And what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Paul and I are here today um, doing things. If it sounds funny, I apologize. Uh, we're, We're... on the road and screwing around paul's in the studio so he'll sound beautiful as always paul how are you i'm good man you you sound surprisingly well for just using the microphone on your laptop so yeah sound good man we're we're uh we're doing what we can right that's a uh, part of part of life but uh that's it let's see here i have we're gonna try we've to go had, we've had an interesting week and we'll keep it short because we've got a freaking banger of an episode headed your way we've got Clint McCoy, beautiful from the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. This entire episode is about the mind of a buck, the mind frame of a buck, and does from and does from today. If you're listening to the first day of the show is released, which is is November 9th until the peak, November 14th, a little after. Man, what a great talk! We just finished it. Clint is freaking smart, man, and super down to earth. He's our he's our dude. So. Real quick, Paul, let's get this intro done so you get the people to what they want, really want to hear. Yes. Uh, our sponsors, we first want to say thank you to Go Wild, our friends over there. Um, Paul talks about it just about every week as far as uh, all the different items they've got on on their, their store, but also your social media. So many bucks and, and does and animals, and I always go deer-minded, but there's other things being posted right now. People are having success out in the woods. Uh, Go Wild's your place for that. Uh, Paul? Go wild uh, item of the week. I'm pulling it this week. Uh, half rack orange vest. All right. Ooh. So our buddies over at half rack, uh, good friends of the show, but gun season's around the corner. You're going to need that orange. Go get that, that half rack uh, orange vest for you. So uh, let's see. Tethered. Tethered. Tethernation.com. I, you know, I had my saddle on my back the entire day uh, this morning months. Didn't take it out once. You're still hunted turkeys, hunted turkeys from the ground. You just wear it all day long now. <laughs> just wore it, walked around with it. I had the backpack with the platform on, but man, no, it was, it was cool. I've, I've, like, uh, 
walking through Kroger and you're like, I want that box of cereal that's up way high. Let me get my lineman belt just out. Throw it, just throw it up and, and, and grab it. So, no, man, I tetherednation.com got a lot of stuff. I talked to, to our buddy Adrian Wilson. Uh, if you're listening, uh, I will be at Fairfield High School on the 10th, November 10th. I got some stuff from Tethered coming to uh, to you young kids uh, that I'm going to be talking to at that high school down there. So looking forward to that, TetheredNation.com. Thanks to those guys for the support of our show, for making an awesome product. Uh, man, very happy. I had a guy stop me just today. It was just like, how do you get up in the tree in that saddle? I'm like, oh, I use these sticks. He's like, sticks? I'm like, yeah, sticks. I tie him to the tree. And he's like, oh, man, is it better than a climber that I'm using? I'm like, dude, yes. Throw that thing in the trash on your way home. Go buy one of these. Never be more comfortable. So good. Going back to one of those. No, no, I couldn't either. So also, Andrew, thank you to our first light sponsors, firstlight.com. You see my custom hat here? Yeah, I saw (laughs) it's beautiful. No one's commented on it. This thing's sweet, man. By the way, custom dry erase marker hat (laughs) over the orange lettering. It's very beautiful. But uh, you know, I keep wanting to get on here and talk about like uh what layers we're using and different things. Well, the fact of the matter is I'm still wearing the exact same layers I was wearing on September 24th when I went out to the woods because it's so this weather. Um, But I will tell you, man, I took a pretty, I told you earlier, a pretty deep walk into the woods the other day. That transfer pack is money. Everything just hooks into there. It has so much room and pack your lunch and everything else. So um, huge, huge fan of that one. But yeah. Yeah. And, what do we got? We got a new one. We got oh, a new one. We have a new partner of this show, of the O2 podcast. We want to welcome Midwest Gunworks to the to the O2 family. Uh, so it's MidwestGunworks.com. Man, Andrew, they have a ton of stuff. So they're 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 they've got every freaking part that you can imagine for a gun. They got gunsmithing tools, they've got ammunition, firearms, accessories, suppressors, clothing, all sorts of stuff. Some of the I mean, look, they got Glock, Gun Lab, Franke, Ghost Incorporated, Dakota Arms, CZ, Cooper Firearms. Who else we got? Mossberg, Ruger, Seiko, I mean, True Glow, Tipton. Man, they got they got tons of stuff. Check out their website, MidwestGunWorks.com. We're going to have a code for you guys here soon to use for that. We're not sure what it is yet. Stay tuned for that. Um, so so if you do get on there and check it out and you, and you want to buy something, you're going to save a little money with this code. So just just let us know, uh, you know, hit us up on Instagram or, or, or go wild. And we'll, we'll get something to you. But do they do monthly giveaways they, uh, on their website? You need, a, you need an obscure part for your gun. That's a place to go. They are gunsmiths yeah. at heart. Uh, they've put uh, they've got a beautiful catalog. So you get on there like I'm looking for, you know, Savage 110 left handed bolt action trigger, whatever, you know, and you can find that stuff. Um, like Paul said, we're going to get our, our guy Cameron over there. We'll get him on the show. Give us some rundown. Uh, I think we're going to try to get out there at some point over the winter and take a tour of the, the operation. But MidwestGunWorks.com. Thank you to them for helping. Yeah. And they are a full-scale gunsmith. So if you need gunsmithing work on a rifle, firearm, whether it's restoration or just uh, you know common work on on your on your hunting shotgun, they they had their price list on there. You can look uh, and, and see what that'll cost you. So yeah, check check them out. Yep. All right, Paul. Let's give uh, quick recaps of what we've been doing in the woods. Uh, so I'm going to make this quick. I suck at deer hunting still. Just a quick update in case anyone was wondering. I will say. <laughs> breaking news 
Yeah, breaking news. Shit you already knew from Paul Campbell. Uh, <laughs> I still suck at deer hunting. I've shot twice and missed. It freaking killed deer once at a deer or once at a, at a doe, once at a pretty nice buck. Um, I will say the only thing that I feel better about myself is that I've seen deer every time that I've gone out uh, to hunt. So starting to bring that together, feeling good about that. Today, I was walking in the woods. I'm going to keep this real short. Uh, there's some stuff on our TikTok, O2 podcast on TikTok. I'm sure you put some of it on. I got in there a, a little late out to this big chunk of public that I was hunting out in the eastern side of the state months, uh, and I kicked some turkeys out of the out of the roost. So immediately, I mean, freaking immediately, like I forgot that I was even there to hunt here. I'm like, eh, turkey hunt. Because why? I always, always leave the house with a turkey call, Andrew, months, every day. Every day I got one. Had my pocket. Came to full draw on two of those little suckers. Uh, split up a flock three separate times. So there was one other guy in the woods uh, kind of that, that I'm hunting. Um Buddy, I was hammering that tube call. I'm sorry about that. If I wrecked a deer hunt, but <laughs> please forgive me. It was a blast. I had a good time. So uh, I have officially reached the point here on November uh, the 8th, 9th, if you're listening to this, uh, Andrew Munts, that I'm ready for turkey season uh, in 2023. So don't shake your head at me, boy. Not yet, man. Not yet. Your beard's looking good, dude. I keep saying that. I, I want you... I want everyone to realize how good yep. your beard is. And there, is. there's the spoiler alert. I still have yeah. a beard, so that's my, why I yeah. brought it up. <laughs> I have not shot. Well, I do. I get the case. I did. All right, I shot a buck. I just didn't yes. get the buck. Right. Uh, so I had a tough weekend, and I'm not going to get into a pity party because uh, some of it's a learning experience. Some of it, trust me, I'm mad at myself. Um, but uh, we're, we're figuring things out. Like Paul said, I think we're getting um, better at finding deer and. For the first time in my life, I've, I've I've been out in the woods, not seeing does because I I think I'm, I've been seeing bucks and that's weird for me. Uh, but Saturday morning, beautiful, 18 minutes into the shooting light, and I had one come grunting, just walking down the path, coming right at me. He saw me, uh, didn't really care, couldn't figure out what I was. I, you know, Paul, we've talked about this at nauseum. I don't, nobody else listening has probably heard this story, but. I don't stop deer. I haven't historically stopped them um, because I got a lot of things running through my head and meh and at a, at a deer doesn't always come to mind. And uh, I kind of was along the lines of um, Dr. Ashby said, you know, don't make them more alert than they have to be. So this was one I should have stopped though, because had I stopped him, I would have gained, you know, I lost whatever, six, eight inches in that step that he took, um, caught him in the back and, and I, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. Right. And I had it all on video because I figured out a way to rig my, my phone up, but, um, yeah, you, but, did, you did do everything that you could to find that deer though. Yeah. So yeah, you, you looked for hours, you were anguishing in the woods for hours. You got a dog, talk about dog that. waited time. Didn't, didn't muck it up. We backed out, like we, you know, waited, we brought the dog in, you know, it just, I don't know. And well, Clint talks about it a little bit in our show, these animals have an amazing ability to survive. So does he make it? I don't know. Maybe he does. You know, there's a chance uh, it's happened before, but uh, the fact of the matter is it was a learning experience and we go on to the next day. And uh, when I get back on that, I think, property, it's important. I think it's important to note that you were at a property on a controlled hunt for deer management, herd numbers, yeah. limiting, like limiting deer. So, you know, I think that's important to know. I mean, you're there. You're like your sole job is to to kill deer to get them out of the herd because they're overpopulated in this particular area. So, 
Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have a certain caliber of buck that I'm looking for. It's not at 180 or anything, but um, this one met the criteria. Maybe it's my only chance I'll get this year. Guess what? Lesson learned next time you need to be a little bit better. Uh, I'm going to learn to stop deer. That's definitely going to be something that we do, but you know, uh, besides that, I really quick um, was out again and I did see some does this time again. So I'm feeling confident on the setups and how I'm reading wind and terrain and habitat and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I got to watch how doe, this doe interacted with a flock of turkey. And I know you're the turkey guy, but uh, I had him come up out of this gut. And it was funny watching her because she knew something was over there and she'd stop and look. And then she'd walk a little bit and then stop and look. And I was kind of wondering, like, you know, how do these animals handle each other? when they're uh you know do they get scared or whatever eventually she like saw them and and just kept going on her way and uh so that was probably you know a disney version of how things happen in the woods and it kind of was real so um you ever see that family guy skit where brian the dog is in the front seat with lois and she's driving the car and they pull up to a car with another dog and the other dog like looks out the window at brian and he's like barking out the window and he's like hey hey other dog F you. That's probably how I feel like deer. Uh, you know, the, the, the turkey's like, hey, hey, deer, F you. And then they just scamper away. <laughs> so I did have one thing in our notes, um, Paul. The um, other, it was about a week ago or something. I can't remember. I must have been driving and drove past a skunk. And I thought to myself, man, it's crazy to think all the times I've walked out of the woods or people walk out of the woods in the dark and stuff and never come across a skunk. You never, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just missing it, but I sure listen to a lot of shit and I have not recalled anybody being like, yeah, I got hit by a skunk walking out of the woods. Well, I kid you not, I think it was Saturday or Sunday night. I was walking up out of the woods, out of this trail. Sure shit. I don't usually use a headlamp, but that night I was, cause it was not so familiar with that property. There's skunk standing right in the middle of the path. And I'm like, well, there you go. You're about to get, you're about to get skunked. Uh, literally. Um, <laughs> After you just thought about that. So if you ever had it, I I've not, I've seen one skunk uh, during a rabbit hunt. Um, We, we have a skunk that's around our house and I smell this damn thing all the time, right? All the time. I mean, it is like two to three times a week. I will smell the skunk. And one night I went out to, I left my phone in our hammocks in the front yard this summer. And I go out to get this phone and my cat comes walking up to me and and I I click my light on and I'm like, Hey, Paddington, Paddington's the cat. And I could smell that skunk and I see something move and it comes running at me. And I look, I thought it was another cat. Well, it's this damn skunk. And I'm just standing there. It seems like 10 feet from me and it stops and it's looking at me. I'm like, oh, buckle up. And the cat turns around and just runs it to the skunk and just like rubs up against the skunk. And then they both run off. My cat is friends with a skunk. They hang out all the time. I've seen them since that moment. I've seen her with that skunk two other times. They just pile around. In, that the, is, in the backyard that is, that is disney right there okay yeah so, it is it is it is disney. Disney. so i'm gonna trap that skunk and shoot it in front of the cat see what <laughs> i'm just kidding uh, what right. else we got we got some news we had some fun some i don't know fun or funny is the the appropriate term for this but we, we so, got some stuff coming away i try to pull out stuff that's relevant and uh but also well-rounded <clears throat> There's a lot of news that came out this week and, and nothing like earth shattering. But if you want more information, ODNR's website is going to have a lot of this stuff. So real quick, Thanksgiving at Ohio State Lodges. A lot of the lodges are offering uh, different Thanksgiving meal offerings, whether it's a breakfast or, you know, whatever. So if that's something you're trying to um, maybe you just want to take a break from the old family 
whatever holiday Thanksgiving, go out to the parks, enjoy the, you know, everything the Ohio state parks have to offer. Plus you can still get your Turkey and, and mashed potatoes. There's uh, a new lodge at the, at Hocking Hills that just opened up. I think this end of the summer, just September, maybe yep. absolutely beautiful, beautiful lodge. We've got the protected corridor expands along little Beaver Creek state and national wild scenic rivers. Um, some bridal trails and APV trails or areas are being closed down for the year. That was an interesting one and why. I mean, there's some hunter safety areas and stuff. Um, you know, you, you're going to have people with guns and, and whatnot. You don't want to be blasting a horse. But the uh, also for the maintenance of the trails. So, Paul, you'll know from our uh, work with, you know, growing plants and stuff, you know, all, all that compaction that you'll get on wet soils pushing down yeah. the ground that can really damage, um, you know, those, those paths long-term. So uh, there's dates and stuff that are on when those will be closed. And I think they both reopen in April, but just keep that in mind. Let's see. Waterway safety council meeting is on November 16th um, from 10 AM to noon down in Columbus, 2045 Morse road. ODNR is looking for wildlife officer candidates. Um, let's see. Would you would you ever consider, like, in, a, in another life, being a wildlife officer? I what? feel like that'd be a really fun job. But like, when all the fun hunting's going on, you're out in the woods because that's when all the hunters are out there, and you're out there, you know, monitoring, making sure people are safe, and doing the you know, doing the things they're supposed to be doing. So like most kids in life, Paul, when you're 18, you don't really know what you want to do. Um, yeah. I first went to college to be uh, criminal justice, right? I, I had this like idea. I want to be on a SWAT team, break doors down and kill people. Bad guys, get the bad guys, right? Uh, but then all of a sudden I had this uh, epiphany one, one summer working in the garden center that maybe working with plants was much safer and peaceful. <laughs> and my, my mom used to say, you know, maybe you can go to, you can mix both those ideas and like go to, you can be like a, plant enforcement person or something so uh no i do not want to be an odnr <laughs> wildlife officer because of exactly exactly what you said no uh, it's, it's a cool it's a cool job it's uh and you know the saying goes if you have a problem with the odnr officers you're probably doing something wrong maybe i don't know uh do so do we have an, an o2 hunt camp participant this week i think not we've this. got some recorded yeah i'm not sure if we if not we've got anything yeah, not this week. So uh, if you're looking to do that, if you if you have a great successful hunt, whether it's in the state or elsewhere, feel free to give us a call, uh, you know, or uh, Instagram, the.02.podcast. You can hit us up on Go Wild, O2 Podcast. Hit us up on, on TikTok, O2 Podcast. You see a theme here, Andrew. Uh, we'll get you in, talk about your hunt. We got some really cool stuff. We got a duck hunt coming up. We got uh, a duck slash pheasant slash uh, deer hunt that we're going to record hopefully here in the next day or so uh, with our listener, Bo. Um, man, we got Rush. We got to get Justin on, but um, Justin, yeah, we got to get him on. He just killed his first deer. Congratulations to him. Uh, and, and also his younger brother, Brandon, got married over the weekend. So congratulations to Brandon and Lauren. Uh, for those of you unmarried young men, uh, say no to fall weddings. Um, friends don't uncle, let friends get married uncle, during... uncle paul's telling you that it's gonna haunt you for the rest of your life at some point so yeah. i mean it's great getting married always get married get married in december or july just there kidding go. <laughs> there you go so uh let's see here deer numbers across the state this is through november 6th 
And as we talked to Clint about, these numbers are down a little bit from past years, but we've got... 40, that was interesting. 48,583 deer harvested through November 6th. The three-year average is 54,021. So from 48,5 to 54 is the three-year average. Um, and at this point through 2021, we were at 52,613. So down about 6,000 from just last year. Top counties, number three, Ashtabula with 1,488, Tuscarawas with 1,602, and Coshocton with 1,923. Paul? I, I almost added to that total. They were Coshocton. Can't beat them, join them, right? I was out right. there. That's Paul's. Uh, we had that going back and forth over the weekend. <laughs> but Paul took a OLAP spot out there in, in Coshocton and uh, said, yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. And, uh <laughs> Shocking County. So, all right, Paul, 14 individuals convicted of stealing venison and poaching Ohio deer. What's one of those, I, uh, one of those news stories you don't really want to report, but you yeah. got to talk about it. So refresh my memory. I read this article what, last week when it, when it came out and I think I sent it to you and you're like, Ben, I already saw it. We're going to talk about it. So it was, uh, it was a, it was a processor that was stealing meat yeah, or down in Gallia County. All right, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just pulling these numbers and, and stuff out of this article. Um, illegal taking of deer and selling venison. So there's 14 people being charged on 122 counts in four counties in two states, including felonies and misdemeanors. Now that's all okay. 14 people, 122 counts. They're combined to pay $70,013.14 in fines and restitution. All right. Wow. Now, I'm going to read off some of this stuff. And I, I really want your honest opinion of $70,000 over 14 people is, is really enough. Um, the group collectively received a uh, hunting license revo revo uh, revocation, revocation totaling 60, 63 years. Wow. Uh, and so you lose in Ohio, you lose it everywhere. Is that, yeah. That's the rule. Yeah, they have reciprocating rules. All right, so here's a list of, the, list of the charges. Engaging in a pattern of corrupt activities, grand theft, falsification, tampering with records, possession of untagged deer parts, hunting with an illegal implement, and complicity to, to wildlife sales. <laughs> uh, they're paying maximum restitution to one individual of $20,000, and a second to thirteen for thirteen thousand dollars. So I don't know to the gallows. To, to the gallows, right? <laughs> There's a lot of charges, a lot of yeah. things they did wrong, a lot of people. Seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, more or less. What do you think? Uh, I don't think it's enough. I say hit them with seventy apiece, right? And they're all going to jail for it. Sounds like quite a while for that. I mean, it's just crime is dumb. My, I mean, if everyone knows that, except for the dumb people, crime is dumb. Like wildlife laws, like man, I just feel like it's a matter of time. And you know that it's something stupid the way that they caught, they got caught. They some idiot put it on Facebook, or someone told one of their friends who told their name, and it just spread from there. You know, so I mean, it dumb. comes out to like five grand a person. Yeah, no, you're you're right. That should be. 15 15 grand a person yeah pay it back schmucks five thousand is a lot of money don't get me wrong but you know what they need to do they need to every person that shoots a deer in gallia county for the next 10 years they have to go and drag the deer out of the woods that's what they need to <laughs> set a prison you drag every deer 
through the woods in Gaia County until you can't walk anymore. That's I should be a judge. That's what I'm going to do. You should be a DNR officer. I'm going to go back and be a, a judge in Gallia County. <laughs> yeah, well, I have no friends by the time. Guilty, we're guilty. Drag deer out for everybody. <laughs> uh, what else we got? That's all I got on the news side of things. Um, I, you know, I apologize for not having a hunt camp person this week. You guys, if if you're out in the woods and and getting things done, life's and trying to balance life in there. Um, you probably understand. So we'll catch you up on that. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's go time. We're going to, we got Clint McCoy coming on to talk and he gives us a great rundown of what's going on in the woods and everything. And rundown from the perspective of what a buck is thinking and doing between November 9th and the top of the bell curve a little after this is good talk. The beauty of it is that, you know, his, his life work revolves around the science and the biology of the animal has nothing to do with marketing, uh, nothing to do with where he sits or what private oh. farm he hunts or anything like that. It's it's all in theory. It's 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 the science. So yeah. it's good stuff. We try to ask some pretty good questions. I think there's some dumb questions in there too, but there are those dumb questions that everybody might be thinking and uh, nobody wants to ask. Right. That's right. Oh, and uh, we were on. Just this week, I believe it's coming out next week. We're on the Pursuit podcast, the Vance Outdoors podcast. We got to sit down with Jordan and Ben uh, at one of their locations. So, if you want to listen to four handsome, handsome individuals talk about hunting uh, and podcasting and doing all that good stuff in, in the great state of Ohio, check out their show. Good stuff. Yep. So, Paul, next week we'll be doing this from up Michigan. North, yeah, we're going to Michigan. We're leaving. Uh, just a few days, man. Four days. You and I are going to be packing up, heading north. We're going to an island up in Michigan with some 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 people that we've met, and uh, looking forward to it, man. Got a rifle hunt on Drummond Island up there. That's going to be a lot of fun. You guys will hear all about it. So, uh, man, I'm ready, freaking ready. Cool. Well, good luck, everybody out in the woods, and we will talk to you next week. See you guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Today, uh, we might sound a little bit different. I'm Andrew is is here. Uh, I'm remote, working off my laptop. Paul is in his at-home studio. But we've got our guest today, Mr. Clint McCoy from Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Division of Wildlife. Clint, how are you going? How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. As, as we were just talking, I think we both, all three of us, would rather be out in the woods right now. Uh, than sitting recording a podcast. So we're going to get through this, hammer this out, and hopefully hopefully you guys can get out later this afternoon. But um, anywho, so today, currently, <clears throat> excuse me, is November 8th. We are in the heart of the, the whitetail season, right? Uh, we're in the middle of the rut. We are, this will be released on the November 9th. So this is like, as latest and greatest information as we can get. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of sitting, Paul's done a lot of sitting and ideas and thoughts just come to mind as we are sitting there. And I, I sit there and say, Hey Paul, we need to do this. Paul, we should ask him this, Paul, Paul, you know, and we go back and forth. So this is our chance uh, that I think we're going to get some questions answered, hopefully, uh, or at least in the right direction uh, as far as that goes. Does, does that sound good to you, Clint? Sounds great, man. Hope you don't stump me. Well, 
That's all right. <laughs> Do you want to give your credentials first? I know you've been on the show before, but um, just to remind people of of that you're not just some schmuck that we pulled off the street. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So I'm the I'm the deer biologist for for the state of Ohio uh, with the Division of Wildlife. Um, that's a pretty wide ranging job. I mean, there's there's um, obviously we monitor populations. We do a lot of um, you know, of course, disease issues are are fairly front and center a lot of times. Uh, we do hunter surveys, uh, try to keep a pulse on things as best we can. Um, but yeah, so my background, uh, always an outdoorsman, uh, went to Davidson College for undergrad, got uh, my uh, BS in biology, and went from there, went to, to Auburn University there in Alabama and did some research on deer for my master's and, and some PhD work there. Uh, all, all, all of my research has, uh, has been on, on various aspects of deer and deer management, um, deer movements, that sorts of, that sort of thing. So, um, that's probably, that's probably good enough for now, huh? Yeah. No schmuck, no schmuck there. That's for sure. So that's pretty damn good. Good for you. <laughs> hey Clint, real quick, you mentioned the disease thing and I don't want to hit on that a whole lot, but are we past the EHD uh in ohio at this point after we've had a couple frost you know that is a question that's hard to answer we thought uh back when we had some pretty cool weather toward what was at the beginning of october so we thought that 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 would have put an end to it um but it didn't uh, we actually had a couple of more confirmed positives uh ehd positives in the last couple of weeks. Um, but that said, it hasn't been, we haven't been getting the, you know, the, an influx of, of lots of reports in the last couple of weeks. It seems to have died down. There's a, still a few uh, isolated cases, it, sa- it sounds like, but for the most part, it's pretty well died down. And and I, I venture to say after this coming weekend, when the weather really turns cold, uh, that that will be will we will be out of the woods at that point. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun. <laughs> or maybe it was. Maybe. I would say it definitely, it definitely <laughs> was. We're on. We're on to you, Clint. All right. So let's. So you just you just mentioned it. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about the weather that we've had. Uh, the first eight days of November. I mean, we have we have had cool. You know, fifty-five degree nights, seventy degree days. What kind of impact does that have on deer movement, specifically during pre-rut, rut, post-rut? Honestly, um, it come a lot of our interpretation. I say our, and I'm speaking as a hunter in that in that sense. A lot of our interpretation comes down to our experiences, and so uh, we observe uh, or we hear uh, talk about. Uh, warm weather slowing down the rut or 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 uh, different w- weather aspects that that influence deer movement and a lot of it has to do with our experiences uh, i know lots of folks that that don't even go sit in the woods when it's warm like that a lot of times and so that's obviously influencing their experience because they're only hunting when it's cool so their only good days of hunting are when it's cool outside so they're you know, you're automatically kind of biasing your opinions of, of how that might influence deer movement. But out of all the research that's that's been done, not not just mine, but but from from all around the country, 
there's really not a lot of compelling evidence of of weather impacting deer movement. Um, deer movement is based on a couple of things. And, and every time you, you put a collar on a deer, you'll see that that food, time of day, and what part of the breeding season we're in is going to influence uh, when how much a deer is going to move and where it's going to move. Um, you know, and then always think about, you know, it's, it's a little bit far-fetched, but I always think about, uh, warm weather impacting deer movement. I think about Florida. All right. So Florida, those deer are rutting. I mean, they can, I mean, they can breed almost any time of year in Florida, but, but they're primarily, they're rutting in, in, in August. So mm-hmm. you think about August in Florida. 85 degrees every day. <laughs> So, you know, if warm weather hampers the rut, then there would be no deer left in Florida because they had never breed. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's not a whole lot of compelling evidence that weather influences deer movement that much. Um, it, it really is. If it's November 10th or today it's November 8th and a, a hot doe is in the area, bucks are going to be on their feet chasing that doe. No matter what, you know, no matter what temperature it is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as hunters, we always look forward to those November cold fronts. Um, of course, of course. So I, I guess it's just that more of us are out in the woods and that's kind of what, you know, we're seeing. We're there, we're seeing more deer or, I mean, or do they just get uncomfortable? And so maybe they move around more but not necessarily. If, if, if cold fronts, you know, here's the, if cold fronts influence, if got you know you always hear that it's cold fronts coming deer are going to get on their feet uh, you know what about that october cold front or cool front i mean yeah. that maybe that put more hunters in the woods and we saw lots of harvest early season because the weather was beautiful perfect hunters were more comfortable being in the woods when it's cooler um they don't have as much you know obviously there's not as much concern with with meat spoilage and that sort of thing when it's cooler out. So you got a lot of, a lot more hunters in the woods when, when that quote unquote ideal weather is, is there. Um, but, you know, if I was to give advice, if it's the rut and it's 70 degrees, it's still the rut, you know, um, deer are still going to be doing their thing because that is what influences deer movement is is the breeding season and if if deer are going to be on their feet it's going to be because they're trying to find a doe to breed yeah Clint, you said there uh earlier i just want to recap those yeah. the things that the deer need are, are that influence their movement time of day food and breeding cycle and did you say moon moon phase as well is that did i catch that in there nope Oh, oh, you mean it? What? <laughs> what? So today's blood moon did nothing. <laughs> it, it was actually maybe, pretty cool if you guys if, saw it. If it you pretty... saw it, it was it did something for, for you as in there you something pretty cool. But uh for for deer movement, no. Um I venture to say it it didn't have much of an impact there. Very, very good. So as we're we're just I you know everyone says the run is a bell curve, you know, what, and what is it? November 14th is the top of the bell curve and it, it starts to go down. So we're, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that, that's okay. fairly accurate. Yep. So November 8th, we're getting close to the top of that, that bell curve. So have, have bucks abandoned the need for food? 
almost completely and they're just operating on you know opportunistic eating as they roll by but they're running to you know they're looking to fight they're looking for that hot dough uh so i mean are they out of that need for food and just kind of in like let's go mode uh for the most part i'd say yes i mean at this point when there's november 8th you know we're a week out from from peak breeding there's there's does that are being bred today um so there's that scent in the air and um those bucks know what time it is and so yes i'd say for the most part um their their focus has shifted almost entirely to to securing a breeding opportunity so when 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 that that as you put it the scent is in the air um will they are they are they actively looking to spar with other bucks or are they just you know if someone kind of comes in yeah here's go go ahead. ahead Well, here, here's why, here's why I asked the other day I was in uh, a, a beautiful piece of property. I had a lot of deer. I had a lot of does. I had one really nice buck that was clearly just locked on a doe. They were moving together. And, you know, so you, you, you start to panic, you grunt at them, didn't care, just moved right on out. I mean, did, didn't even like flicker a tail, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So if, if so are, are bucks like the mindset they have, like they're on that doe, they're not going to come off of it or I've always, I've always wondered, like, it's just like a turkey, like you, you, and sorry, months to bring turkeys into this. That's all I know. Always, like, always but you know, if I, if I stand on a ridge one day and I, and I, and I yelp at a turkey and I might get, I might not get anything I do with the next day and I get 30 toms that erupt. It's just, they're in that mood to, to just go, you know? Sure. And I, I would imagine deer are the same. So if I, is it possible to pull a buck off of a bedded doe, a doe that he's tending if, if, uh, is the popular phrase. Is it possible? I, I, yes. I can't say that that it's impossible. Um, but that buck, if he is actively tending a doe, it's going to take a lot to, to without a visual cue or a, another buck coming into the area to act as some sort of competition. Um, my, my, my guess would be that it would be almost impossible to, to, to pull him away. Uh, just from from sounds that you might make he's already made it he's already done what he wanted to do he's he 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 is there he is he has reached the top of the mountain and he's not coming off the top of the mountain unless unless someone comes along and and forces him off gotcha so on that on that note there clint um one of the things i thought about when i was sitting out last weekend we sometimes will attempt to (laughs) rattle in deer grunt at them, snort wheeze to them, you know, fawn in distress call, whatever it is to get these deer to come in. Can you tell us about those different communication tactics and like, not on how we use them. We, there's plenty of people document, talk about that, but what are deer doing? Like, what is he doing when he's grunting? What is he doing when he's snort wheezing or, you know, all the, the different things that we hear about? Yeah, so those are just, you know, obviously they're communicating something with all of those different noises. And there's all kinds of, you know, if, if you've heard deer grunt, you've, you've heard different types of grunts. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but but deer have more than just a, you know, the standard grunt. They, there's different types of communication that's occurring there. Uh, some of it is aggression, um, particularly snort wheeze is, is that is, be hard to imagine um a time where they they would snort wheeze if there wasn't another deer right there within eyesight of them um that's a very 
you know, up close personal, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the big dog here, get out of my way sort of thing. Um, but other grunts are, are, you know, you have the tending grunt, which is, which is, you know, when a buck's typically hot on the trail of a doe and kind of doing that, uh, if you've ever witnessed, it's pretty cool where they do kind of that bird dog uh, type movements, you know, where they're really kind of stamping their feet as they're, they're tailing that doe. Uh, but what, you know, it's just, it's, those are all different types of sounds to kind of communicate uh, what that deer is, you know, the, what it's feeling, you know, it's, it's, or what, what it's, um, what it's experiencing so there's also you know i've heard bucks that would i don't know if you've ever heard uh primo's kind of made it popular with this buck growl um but that that is almost a a, a frustration almost like a a deer that's that can't ham a doe up and it's just ah you know kind of uh sort of thing but there it's just a you know just different ways to, to communicate to other deer um about you know, that that particular deer's uh, state of state of mind, I guess if you will. I don't know if that's really appropriate to personify them that way, but um, no. Yeah. And I, I think uh, you know, in my pea brain, everything's got to be uh, per, you know made into human anthropomorphizing. Is that how you call that? It? That is it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you got the buck walking around. It's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> talking, and then you got the one that's like, back up, let's fight, or you know, I'm just picturing walking around the bar and like, at what point in college are we at? Like the, yeah. the come at me, bro, dear. Yeah, come at me, bro. Or <laughs> just growling because you're just fed up with her. You know, like I get it, I get it. So yeah. it all makes perfect sense. Now, what about like uh, they don't just walk around the woods going rah, 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 the whole time, right? They're pretty quiet. Right. So it's usually in the the presence of another deer that they're going to start being vocal. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, yes, uh, I guess that's the short answer is there's, they don't have, they don't have a whole, whole lot to gain by just, they're not trying to attract an unseen deer to them by grunting necessarily. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's always, they're trying to communicate to, to a deer that's in the area. So when we grunt at them and they don't do anything, what's happening? Do they just not hear us? Do they're not interested? uh they don't care either 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 of those yeah um it could be you know it's amazing to me it has been in the past and so it's how loud i had to be for to catch a deer's attention right um, i think a lot of times we grind at a deer and it's not responding because it doesn't hear us uh, that's not the only reason it doesn't respond but um if it doesn't look your direction, there, there's high, I mean, a pretty good likelihood that it didn't hear you. And I can think of one hunt in particular where a deer was crossing a field, you know, 100, 150 yards, 200 yards away. And I, I let out what I thought was a really loud grunt and it, the deer just, I, you know, didn't hear me, acted like it didn't hear me probably because it didn't hear me. And then, you know, grunted even louder, um, basically as loud as you can without making the grunt call squeal and and it stopped him in its tracks and he came in on a string so he just a lot of those times that you don't get a reaction it could be because they don't hear you they get a reaction they look your way 
and then they don't come, you know, it's anybody's guess as to why they might not be looking to <laughs> for a confrontation at that point in time. It's it's deer have if there's anything we've learned from a lot of the research that's happened with deer, it's that we don't know a whole lot <laughs> about their inner workings of their mind and why they do certain things. Deer have they have different different personalities, if you will. Well, and on that note, not hearing yet. I was out yesterday and I mean, those leaves are so loud. It You're just walking myself. I couldn't hear anything but the crunch, crunch, crunch. And sure. like, if they're doing the same thing, that makes perfect sense that why they wouldn't, might not, might not hear you. Mm-hmm. So. so the, the, the three factors of deer movement. So we'll, we'll just jump into the time of time of the breeding season. At what point are they moving the most? Is it now? Is it peak? Is it post? When's the, when is the most buck movement specifically i'd say i would say it would be now Um, so now until the 14th and yeah i mean you can you still have those deer that are that are looking for 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 does you have deer that are chasing does that aren't quite ready to breed not to say that that's still not happening when we get to peak because it is because there's still does out there that that aren't yet quite ready to breed but at peak you've got a larger proportion of the does that are actually breeding which you know people you know you hear a lot of people call it lockdown and 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 really you know a a buck is locked down with a doe it doesn't mean that there aren't some does out there that are that are not quite locked down yet so there's still some classic what what you might refer to as rutting activity where, where bucks are chasing and that sort of thing that's would still happen at that time period but now is kind of leading up to peak uh, is is kind of that time where you have the highest likelihood of, of seeing that classic uh, chasing and 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 tending or uh, gotcha yeah and I think um, Clint when you talk about lockdown we're, that's about a forty eight hour period or something isn't it uh, anywhere between thirty six hours to to forty eight maybe even up to three days. So, so lockdown where a where a one buck is locked down with one doe is that what yes, you're talking about? And, okay. and and breeding and breeding breeding as many times as he can within that period. Yep. With that particular with doe. that particular doe, yes. So at that point, that that buck, he's not moving much. He's he's feeding, moving in a very tight area with her, I would imagine. And that's like we talked about. It's that's almost impossible to break that dude away yes. without a visual cue. Sure. But after yeah. that lockdown period, it's back on game game it's back yeah it's back game on yep yep once that doe is is kind of whatever her cues are that that you know she's she's done her due diligence to to be impregnated and she moves on then yes he's back he's back game on looking for for the next one but to the point you know that that's one of the reasons why uh selective harvest is not as um, efficient as as many would think. And what I'm talking about there is 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 genetically altering your deer herd. It's incredibly difficult when you think about those bucks and what they have to go through to secure a breeding opportunity. Those bucks are only producing at best a handful of fawns every year, just because of the time that it takes that they invest into a single doe. So you think, you know, a, a single buck's only going to get a handful of breeding opportunities every year. And that's why it's so difficult 
well, so it's impossible to to you know selectively breed um, you know best you know the quote unquote best genes uh, in a, in a, in a free ranging deer herd. While we're on that, I think I heard somewhere the other day. Um, now people talk about trying to select it, you know, let the big genes go through the big antlers, you know, pass those on. But most of the genetics actually come from the doe. Is that what I heard? And as far as like, you know, what the offspring end up producing? Antlers? Well, at least half of them, you know, I mean, uh, the way, you know, the way that, 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 that nature works, the way that nature works, you get half your genes from your mom and half of them from your dad. Now, how much of those genes are, coded for for specifically towards antlers i i don't know if there's a if you get one you know more from the doe or more from the buck but yeah i didn't know if it was something like and again taking it back to the human side where you know they say hair loss comes from your mom's side right 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 like that but sorry that that would be a question maybe more so for like a a deer breeder or something (laughs) it would be the experts there gotcha so Clint, how at this peak time of moving for for bucks, how far is a buck moving? Oh man, is that impossible to quantify? Or is well, it's just it's just so var- it's just so variable. So it's um, variable, like on does in the area, hunting pressure. What else? All of those could just the individual buck itself. Okay. Um, I go back to to some of the research that I did and. Um, there were no clear-cut patterns as to as far as the maturity of the buck um, with regards to how far it ranged or, during the breeding season. A lot of a lot of the bucks on my particular study site didn't range all that far, but it didn't. It did. It was just there was no clear-cut patterns as to which ones were going to range far and which ones weren't. And I'll go back to one of the most extreme examples of of buck movement and and it came out of missouri with the collared deer that they had there and that buck moved hundreds of miles across the state during the rut wow. i mean just incredible distance now that's obviously not the norm but that just you know just goes to show that that these bucks can and will cover extremely large areas but again there's also those bucks that won't yeah. um there's those bucks that can secure a couple of breeding opportunities without leaving their home range. Um, but that buck in Missouri wasn't in the bed of someone's pickup truck, was it? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it was not. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so, so we always hear the term like core area for, for a buck. Uh, are they still sticking in that core area? You know, and, and is that like a loose definition or, are they just like in that core area and then just kind of shoot out and see what's going on, go back, shoot out, see what's going on? Yeah. So again, it, it, bucks are Individual. highly indiv- individualized, but, but in essence, a core area and, and, and the way that we define that was with our movement data from our research was where they spent uh, 50% of their time, at least 50% of their time. So at any at any given point during the day, you could flip a coin and they would be in that core area. So um, those will expand during the rut just because of their increased movement rates and their you know their their um, seeking does. So those those typically will expand for almost every buck. Um, but again, 
if they can secure uh, breeding opportunities close to home from a survival point of view, it makes the most sense to do that because of the familiarity with their uh, with their surroundings. So if they have preferred bedding areas and that sort of thing, it makes sense that if they can if they can get on those within close proximity to that, then then they would. One of the, one of the things, Clint, we I think we're kind of alluding to and talking about is personality within these deer, and I I think it's safe to, if we're going to try to go personify these these animals. Um, you know, people are different. People are different, and deer are different. Is kind of what I'm hearing. Like you might have some that are, uh, you know, more willing to go out and and range, or some that will stay closer to home. And there's a lot of things that come into play with that. But do they also have personalities where it's like maybe one deer just is a little bit more aggressive than the other or one's more adventurous or one is more of a homebody type of thing? Is that I know it's really hard. You can't just walk up and be like, hey, man, do you like your home more than you like your <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> grunt right at you, you know, but uh, is that something you guys have ever seen or I mean, is it is it possible to that that could be realistic? Yeah, I think, well, you know, that we obviously see differences in their behavior um, in the way that they move across the landscape, the number of fawns that they might sire over the course of a season or their lifetime, which would then kind of, we would assume that that is due to differences in levels of aggression or um, whether they're more of a homebody or not. We We can make some of those leaps, but to say that yeah, I mean, some deer are more aggressive than others. I, I, so that some of our study sites that we've had in the past, um, I say our, I, that's when I was in college uh, at, at Auburn. There were some deer that would instantly respond to any sort of calling during 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 the rut, just like automatic. Those guys were looking for a fight, and then there were some that it's a it was a roughly six hundred forty acre uh, parcel fenced and there were some deer that were like ghosts we 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 only knew they existed because we saw them once or twice with our eyeballs uh they never showed up on trail camera they were just complete ghosts um so again yeah i mean it's just these we 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 can generalize because we have decades and decades of research on white-tailed deer you know we, we we know a lot about the species so we can generalize, but then when it comes to those those individual behaviors, uh, those individual deer, uh, there's there's a lot of question marks as to why they act the way they do. So those ghosts, what are they? What are they doing? Are they just smarter than everyone else? They know where the trail cameras are. That they, they're <laughs> they're more self aware. They're just they're just really locked into a certain spot. Why are, why are they like that? I don't. I mean, I, I don't know, but I it's speculating. Uh, trail cameras are typically overbait. Um, w- what it is about that particular bait that they they don't come around, whether it's just, they're just not attracted to it for whatever reason, or if it's some associating some sense of risk and they're very risk averse. Um, those are just a couple of ideas that I would have as to why they they just seem like ghosts and for you know for the general hunter out there a deer might just be a ghost because it 
they only know it exists because I saw it one time, but maybe it was on the fringe of its home range or it was making an excursion and its home range isn't even where close to where they saw it. And so that's why, you know, it, it may just live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are a couple of reasons why we might term deer a ghost. So from November 9th until November 20th, so the, the peak of the bell curve going down, are scrapes and rubs still are they those are good spots for hunters to set up to to have encounters with bucks not necessarily no it, it so scrape hunting is is probably most effective we've probably even passed it at this point uh they're most effective earlier um uh, when 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 that communication among the 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 individuals in the herd is a, is at its kind of at its strongest bucks are communicating uh, with with since they're leaving there and those might be communicating as well when they're coming coming in and, and using i don't know if you've ever seen it but those would can use licking branches as well um but now we're kind of in that point where it's just kind of we're on the hunt and and using uh, the use of scrapes and, and rubs and that sort of thing dwindles kind of as we as we're moving through this period all right clint <clears throat> anybody who listens to our show knows that this is near and dear to my heart. I want to know what the does are doing, have been doing, will be doing moving forward because uh, I, I, that's my bread and butter is finding does, but the lately up until last night, I hadn't seen one out in the woods in almost two months and oh, wow. my cameras, they were, night i mean completely nocturnal i get it that the warmth was was an issue but um or it was just cooler at night for them to move but we talk about them going into their estrus cycle and all that and i mean what kind of time frame is on that do they just continue their bed to food pattern until all of a sudden they feel funny and i i'm just curious what what are they doing are they in herded up or flying solo <laughs> yeah um those are really good questions and it hasn't been until fairly recently that at least that I've paid a whole lot of attention to to research about what what those kind of do as they lead up to breeding season but um one fairly significant study actually occurred on the same study site that I'd used when I was uh, doing my work they put uh, collars on does and at the end of the season they collected the does um to examine the fetuses and determine their date of conception so they could then they knew what date the, the doe was bred and so then they could look at the movement data and kind of correlate what they were doing uh, on the landscape where they were moving how much they were moving with the time that they were actually bred uh, and and what what we what we know and this not just from this particular research but from others that's been done is, is that those movement rates similar to bucks will increase uh, as as the rut uh, approaches and 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 moves along, and that their lar- their largest home ranges, their largest core areas will occur kind of in those days surrounding conception. Um, and so w- one one way that we can look at it biologically is that uh, these does, it's almost their so they, they can make wider ranging movements. They're increasing movement rates and they're actually increasing spatially where they're going. 
um, biologically what they're doing, what we assume that they're doing, is that it's their way to kind of advertise broadly their presence, their availability for breeding. And the, the larger kind of larger area they can advertise themselves to, they're potentially inciting competition among males. So it's kind of their way to try to get males to compete for them so that they can secure, you know, breeding with, with the kind of the highest quality males in the area. So they're, they're going to be uh, this one particular study, the 30% of the females they had tagged went on excursions. Um, so these are long distance movements outside of their traditional home range. Um, and, and these excursions, the highest probability of them being outside their home range was within a day or two of them actually uh, conceiving. So it, in in essence, what I'm saying is, is these does are actually broadening their movement as well. And, and as an attempt to try to uh, make sure that they, it's their way of kind of their mate choice. Um, they, they can't specifically pick which male that, that they want to breed with, but they can kind of incite some competition and ensure that, or try to ensure that they're getting a high quality male to to breed with. Are they herding up or are they, uh, they branching out solo? I might've missed that. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, no, they, they would not be herding up per se. Um, you'll still see those traveling groups at times, of course. Um, uh, but, but a lot of these ex- excursions that we talk about, I, I, I'm assuming, and we don't have collars on it. These studies don't have collars on every single doe out there, but I'm assuming that some of the, most of these excursions are, are solo excursions outside their home range. Do you, do you get, does science know what age doe goes into esters first or are they all, all over the board? Well, I guess I don't know that answer, uh, Exactly. I, you know, obviously we, we can talk about fawns, you know, young of the year that were born in the spring. Once they reach a particular body weight, they're capable of, of going into estrus. And that typically is later than, than the, than the initial, you know, the rut that we're in right now. Uh, a couple of weeks later, if there's some fawns out there that could reach kind of the critical body condition and uh, size to, to actually essentially go through puberty and are, are are capable of breeding, you'll have some of those, those deer go in estrus, um, you know, kind of the first of December or so. And see, I, I had always heard, you know, people say, oh no, it's the old, the old does that go into, into estrus at the end of the year, you know, or at the end of the rut. Yeah. That's no, yeah. That's no, that's, that's the, I don't think there's any evidence for that. Uh, you know, obviously there can, things, complications can happen, complications can happen as to when, you know, these does in the first rut, something happens, they uh, miscarry or whatever, they can then, of course, cycle again later, um, which, which would induce somewhat of a, a, a mini, a mini rut, I guess, depending on whether you're there to witness it or not. Uh, but those are, those are obviously much more rare. So what? So after the fourteenth, and a majority of the does have been bred or in estrus, whichever one it is. I guess been bred, right? Is mm-hmm. when the bell curve starts to go down. What What do the bucks do? How does their mind shift? Are they more desperate than ever, just because there's fewer 
doughs that are ready to be bred or are they just like, Oh, thank God we made it. I'm out. <laughs> no. Uh, so the, that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So the, the research that we, that I did in, uh, this was in uh, property in South Carolina. Um, so, but it, it, it's deer behavior in general. It, it's not going to change um, regionally, geographically. Those bucks kind of in the, what we would, you, and I assume we're kind of talking like end of rut, you might can call it quote unquote post rut type behavior. Those bucks were, were lining out. And what I mean by that is their movement rates still were fairly high but they're the spatially they were covering larger areas geographically. So they're, they're, they're moving further across the landscape, you know, searching for those that, you know, potentially are still available because the, you know, as supply dwindles, um, they, they've got to kind of, if they want to continue and that's, you know, that's in their, that's in their DNA is to, that they need to breed. So they're, they are still, in that mode to, to, to find those. And, and so they're, they're stretching out their movements and that's a time in particular where hunters might see bucks that they've never seen before would be kind of after that peak rut when, when bucks are you know, branching out far and wide in search of some of the last few does that are still available. Clint, what, in, on that tail end of side of things in Ohio in general, I don't even say in general, What's the, the latest doe to be bred, do you think? We've had doe fawns bred in January. And the, the reason I asked, I think it was about October 10th, probably a month ago. It might have been the last time I saw does. Uh, <clears throat> I had one come underneath me, that uh, mom and, a, and a, a fawn, and that thing still had spots and the square face and everything. And I'm like, this thing looks like it fell out last week. Like, <laughs> how, how is this still here? Like, I, I just, I was really surprised. It must have been a really late carry. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, you see, you hear, it seems like you hear about those a lot, but you're kind of just hearing of the abnormalities. And, and, and in your case that, that it's the tail end of the bell curve, the very tail end of the bell curve. So you see things like that. With that mom, will she be on the tail end of that bell curve again this year? Or was that just a fluke or um, do they like from year to year, are they going to stay similar in that? And one of the reasons I feel like they, they might because uh, that property that I was on specifically, I don't see a lot of buck movement until later in the, in the rut period, like almost like those does in that area just tend to come on a little bit later, but maybe it's just me. I don't know. Well, there's a genetic, a genetic link to, to um, timing of breeding. You know, you think about States down South where they have Alabama is a good example where you have breeding, and you have northern part of the state, you've got some breeding in, in kind of the quote unquote normal time frame in November. And then you get down uh, coastal Alabama, you've got breeding in January. And those those kind of maintain themselves just through there's not a whole lot of <laughs> no, not a whole lot of difference between uh, geographically there, but uh, just genetically, those those does have been predisposed to to, to breeding later. In Ohio, most does evolved to breed in November, just you know, like most of the Midwest. You might have some variation there, but it shouldn't be. I wouldn't imagine it'd be too extreme. 
the whole philosophy is really weird to me because you're talking about Florida has their rut in August. I think South Carolina's got pretty along the coast. They've got a pretty early one, right? Yep. And then, uh, you know, we get up in the Midwest and it's all pretty uniform across here. But then you kind of go back down to Alabama and you'll have that rut going into January, February. I and mean, that's just mm-hmm. that's unique. But that's mostly genetically driven, you think? It, well, it is. And, and, and in the case of somewhere like Alabama, it has to do with uh, a lot of it has to do with restocking efforts. So they were restocking deer from different parts of the country. Um, so, and, and the early, I guess, maybe maybe to get more to your point, that early, early rut in, say, like coastal South Carolina or um our Florida, this is all about maximizing a fawn's ability to survive once it's born in the spring. And so that's driven by, you know, they have a roughly 200 day gestation. So you, you know, kind of back calculate as to when it's most advantageous for that fawn to hit the ground. So it's what they're typically what they're doing in those coastal areas is they're avoiding flooding uh, hurricanes or, and whatnot. Uh, to to be on the ground in a time where it's most likely for them to survive. Uh, in in the Midwest, you have a much tighter time frame just because of the the shorter growing season. Uh, that's compared to the South, and timing, you know, at green up when does are most healthy, they they can produce the most and best milk for the fawns. Uh, you just have a much tighter window, uh, evolutionarily speaking fascinating that is that's that's really neat um clint i want to ask you about how deer react to hunting pressure during this during this time so i mean obviously november 9th to november 14th there will be more hunters in the woods i feel like than any other time uh outside of so well yeah even yeah um so I do a lot of like big land public hunting in the central part of the state, southeastern part of the state, and I could go to a property at the beginning of the year. I might see two people. I go to that same property uh, today and I see 15. And so everything that, that I've kind of learned about that property and the deer movement during that time is gone because there's 15 other people uh, in, in that area. So so what do the deer do when they sense that pressure, when they smell people, they see people? odd sounds what are they doing uh kind of just just reacting to that yeah um again there's some individuality involved there but in general uh deer are they're the most one of the most successful species to grace our planet because of their very unique ability to survive um you think about rabbits they have lots of babies deer don't i mean they have two fawns on average, a little less than two fawns on average a year. So they're not able to sustain their population primarily through just flooding the ground with lots of babies. It is the adult survival that in having all of those, you know, of age females giving birth that kind of maintains and, and has this keeps the deer's population's ability to, to, to continue to, to, to stay um, at certain levels. So this ingrained innate survival mechanism uh, within these deer, they're risk averse and certain animals in different ways, but they perceive things 
um, at an incredible level. So a lot, of, in particular to the research, I'll, I'll reference again, that research that I did in South Carolina was looking at, we had data on when hunters were in wood in the woods, in, in the stands. And we looked at the deer movements across the hunting season and saw a huge impact to deer movement at, as it related to hunting pressure. Um, and even, you know, deer kind of get stupid during the rut. There's no question. Um, but they are not, you know, they're not blind, uh, or they're, you know, they haven't plugged their nose. They're still survival machines. And so what we saw, we saw, uh, magnitudes of difference in their daylight, uh, movements. So they, we saw over the course of the season, they were, utilizing you know these food plots and feeders at much greater rates later into the season after all this hunting pressure occurred but when they were visiting was was well after a human could could potentially take them out so they were they, these were they, they essentially became nocturnal and you you hear that quite a bit um they didn't necessarily shift where they lived they were still there um they were avoiding they were avoiding where hunters were uh, during daylight. Um, it was almost uh, unquestionable as to what, you know, they're survival machines. So they don't just go from the roadside uh, in, in a public state forest to eight miles in the woods. That's no, not their. No, <laughs> that not is not, MO. that is not the MO. Uh, the MO yeah. is not to flee um, in that way. It, it's just to, uh, their their movements are much are, are concealed by the cover of darkness in a lot of cases. Mm, that's interesting, Andrew. What else you got banging around in there? Uh, well, I, a lot uh, as as always. But Clint, when it, I'm just curious, and I don't need you to go too in depth. But we've got, and I, some of it's just business. There's a lot of apps on the market <clears throat> that claim to be able to predict deer movement and different things, and I. Oh, I, do I look at them? Yes, of course I look at them. Um, I also question them heavily. Uh, and I actually had two I was looking at the other day that were telling me a completely different things, right? One was like <laughs> 9% chance to go out. And the other one was like, no, it's time to go. It's time to go. And I'm, I'm not going to let those influence my uh, my hunt per se. But I'm just curious, like I'm, from somebody who's done the research and the studying of of movement patterns, weather, barometric pressure, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything in any of those? I don't don't have to give names of names, but that you buy into or think is credible at all? There's no real compelling evidence that that, that stuff makes much of a difference. Some studies have found some, some tendencies here and there um, in certain ways as with regards to to different weather variables. Um, but at the end of the day, deer are crepuscular. Uh, they're going to move at daylight and at, at you know, at, at dark um, or, you know, at sundown. And they're going to move when it's breeding season. They're going to move to find food. Um, these, these weather events, don't uh there's not a lot of compelling evidence that that they have that much of an impact 
Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I, back to what you said earlier about people, you know, if they don't hunt, I don't remember which one you said, but if you're not hunting in the rain, <clears throat> you're never going to see a deer out. You were talking about the warm <laughs> weather. Yeah. Guess what? They, they might still move in the rain. And I, I'll, I'll know, I know personally, I used to never hunt when it was windy. Cause I'm like, Oh, they don't move when it's windy. Well, a couple of times I set out in the wind. I thought, Oh shit, they're, they're moving. <laughs> Believe that. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. I guess not kind of divert what deer are doing now and all that kind of stuff a little bit on the management side of things. One thing I heard recently uh, was the idea of taking does out uh, and how it can improve what you see during the rut. Uh, and I think that the idea was you reduce the doe population and it'll cause bucks to have to cruise more, search more to find the does that they're looking for. Um, and, and you know, old school mentality was you don't kill does because you need more deer and you're not going to have deer if you don't have does. So they're conflicting there. And I, I get it. Like things, trends come and go. Uh, I'm just curious, is that idea of, of I'm not saying take all your does out, but if you breed or thin the herd a little bit with that, will it cause the, the bucks to move a little bit more? Well, there's fewer available does and to, to become a bit, you know, to become receptive to breeding if you remove a few before breeding season comes along. So in, in theory, yes, deer bucks are going to have to search a little harder to, to find receptive does, which would potentially make them cruise by your stand on a higher rate. Um, but there's a lot of other beneficial things to, to removing does early. Um, number one, if you remove a doe early from a management perspective and, and, in a lot of cases, and I'm not speaking, it's hard to speak generalities when you talk about these sorts of things, but in a lot of cases, in a lot of places in Ohio, we are uh, struggling to, to, to shoot enough does. And so from a management perspective, it's highly beneficial to shoot that doe early because that increases your chances of potentially shooting another one come later in the season. Um, the other thing is a doe shot early in the season Let's compare to compare two scenarios. You shoot a doe on um, you know, first Saturday in October versus shooting a doe, uh, say, last day of muzzle loader season because you just want to get rid of your tag. So what you've done there essentially is 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 you removed a deer from the herd that is not going to um, give any sort of return to your to your investment for the next year, right? Um, but in, if you wait until the last day of muzzleloader to shoot that particular doe, what you've done is you've allowed that doe to consume all of those resources um, for those three months or so that could have been utilized by other deer. Uh, there's a finite amount of resources out there. Let's don't you know, we don't kid ourselves and and to have you know, any any deer that you you allow to you know kind of much up they're they're eating eight you know roughly eight pounds of forage a day eight pounds of forage a day if you put when it go i challenge you to go around the woods and pick leaves until you get eight pounds of leaves that's a lot of food that's a lot of foliage um so you know you know it's it's a healthier way to manage the herd by taking those those does early not just for the you know the benefits of maybe getting a a better chance of a, a buck cruising by your stand during the rut but just from a herd health standpoint and and leaving those resources for those deer that are actually going to 
um, be around the next year or have fawns the next year. Uh, it just makes more sense. Got it. Um, the other thing I had, man, I got to find this email. Paul, I sent it to you. It had our numbers. Son of a gun. As far All right, as so why he's, what, you got it? No, go ahead. All right, Clint, why he's, why he's doing that, put you on the spot here just a little bit. A little tiny yeah. bit. All right. Um, if I'm a, a, a bow hunter in Ohio between November 9th, November 14th, give me three things that I need to do to be successful during that phase. Three, three, just three, three things banging around your head as a biologist and as a hunter. Um, don't be afraid to hunt when the weather's not perfect. Um, don't overlook uh, hunting in the middle of the day. And let's see. Pack lots of snacks. <laughs> and it, you know, you don't want to make you don't want to make hunting a chore. And and I had a conversation with a colleague today actually about um we almost put this pressure on ourselves sometimes that that if we don't kill that big buck that we've got on our trail camera that that we've somehow failed or we should have been in the stand today doggone it we should have sit there all day but you think about it man sitting in the stand all day as much as we like being in the outdoors and as much as we enjoy seeing things come alive uh, that's a tough chore sometimes um so we want to, you know, you want to still have fun. Don't forget why we're why we're doing it. Um, that's I don't know. That's that's just a, a lot of opinion and a little fact there coming from the biologist. Anyway, take, take the pressure off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my third point. Take the pressure off. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, take the pressure off. I'm I'm with you, man. That's that's one that I've I've got a little bit of pressure on me this year, and and it's nothing. It's not antler size it's just getting getting the job done you know when yeah. whatever whatever that is so i'll tell you what I've, I've really enjoyed my my deer hunting so far this year months you find that email you were looking for yep all right clint so i know we, we in our emails back and forth with you that we weren't going to get too hot and heavy in this but it looks like we're at about forty eight thousand. this is uh, off of odnr email i pulled off earlier i think through november 6th Forty eight thousand five hundred eighty three deer been harvested um the average up to that point over the last three years, about 54,000. So we're a little bit behind maybe. Yeah, we're down about 10%. Okay. Any idea why? Is it the weather? Is it hunter interest? Uh, do we not have enough deer in the state? <laughs> well, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I do that. <laughs> uh, no, there's, there's several things happening um, that, that are a little wonky this year. We had, we had, that basically a month um, at the beginning of the season where I don't know if you could have scripted better, better conditions for hunting. Um, people got out, people shot deer um, after I'm looking at it right now. So after roughly the first 20 days of the season, um, if we compared the harvest at that point to the three year average, our buck harvest was up 40%. Our antlerless harvest was up almost 30%. People got out and shot deer early. Um, and again, we, I looked at the weather data and just I just picked Columbus because it was centrally located, but kind of applying that across the board. I looked at uh, 
basically average temperatures um, this year, the first uh, first six weeks of the season versus uh, the average. We were 10 degrees, full 10 degrees cooler on average than than we have been historically. And people got out, took advantage of, of, of nice weather. Not that the deer, it made the deer move any more or less necessarily. It's that people, uh, I feel like uh, hunters were, were just enjoying themselves in, in nice, nice weather. And, and they got out and shot deer early. And we'll see. Um, it's always, you know, these mid-season harvest comparisons are always a a, a bit of a, a mind puzzler sometimes just because of all the extenuating circumstances and the differences from one year to the next versus when crops are harvested, what kind of weather it was on this weekend versus this weekend. And um, so we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, we, we definitely had some areas of the state that experienced fairly significant mortality due to EHD. And those counties are, are, are lighting up fairly significantly in the harvest as far as being down pretty good bit. Um, got a couple of counties in Southwest Ohio, uh, like, a, like a Warren and, and Butler, Preble, Hamilton. Uh, some of those counties got hit pretty significantly with HD. Uh, some Southeast counties got hit pretty hard, Benton, Hawking, uh, parts of Athens County, uh, we saw a, a good bit of EHD mortality. Now, granted, that's not a lot we can do about that. Um, deer rebound, as we've seen in the past, the populations will rebound from that. Uh, but but we might uh, suffer a little bit in some, some of those areas this year um, because of because of it. So yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a mixed bag as to to where the heart, why the harvest is where it's at right now. But again, we'll, we'll kind of, once gun season gets behind us, uh, we'll have a much, much clearer picture of kind of where we sit relative to, to what, what we've seen in the past. So yeah, if this dry weather keeps up, I think your gun season is going to be pretty good because there aren't, there's going to be a crop in the field across the the state. Uh, Agreed. But those deer won't have anywhere to hide in there, yeah. but. <clears throat> looks like we're going to have a good weekend. Um, coming up to uh, weather's you know, going to get folks in the woods because uh, it's going to be cool yep. and people are going to be anxious to to see some good rut activity and, and put some tags on some deer, I believe. So, well, Clint, I think that's, that's uh, an hour's worth of knowledge that I'm going to have to listen to about six times, but uh, we appreciate <laughs> your, your time and, and, and everything. Um, We'll, we look forward to touching base with you again, maybe after the season. So, Yeah, no, it's always a joy to be on here with you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Clint. Thanks for your time, man. Good luck out in the woods. Keep us uh, keep us posted on how it goes for you this year. All right, bud. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Nice job.